Psalm 19, please. If you do not read biography, I'll be blunt, you should. Um, Not just any biography, although I I enjoy reading biographies of all kinds of people. Memoirs, even at times. Um, But biographies of the great believers, Christians, and for me, particularly missionaries, are fantastic. One of my favorites is by a guy who grew up in New Jersey over 200 and some years ago, um, lived here, ministered here, and he ministered, and I'll let you see if you can guess who he is, he ministered about 20 minutes from here to, and we have a place in New Jersey called Crosswicks, and it was the Crosswicks Indians, and that was not very far from here. He is very famous, although he died at the age of 29. Um, He was somewhat famous in his day. But can I tell you, in the 225, I think, plus years since his death, his biography was written not too long after he uh, died. And the number one resource, and if I'm not mistaken, still to this day, and it certainly was the first hundred years after his death, that every missionary read above all else and was inspired by was the biography of this man's life. Although he didn't live very long, and he was sick and died of tuberculosis and was a very difficult life and suffered so greatly almost all of his adult life. Anybody have an idea who I'm talking about? David Brainerd. David Brainerd. If you read his journal and his diaries, which are included in the biography, um, you'll find that he was a great man in so many ways, but one of the biggest things he struggled with and for whatever you think it's worth, they're in his family for a hundred and some years, they go back and this was very prevalent. His mom and his dad died in their 30s. His brothers died in his 30s. Um, a lot of people died in their 20s and 30s in his family. Um, not from depression, but a lot of things were complicated because of it. And seemingly being depressed in life was a common trait um, that was learned, or however you want to, from his family or the circumstances that they grew up in at that time. But he had a real struggle with depression. And one of the things that was noted is that, unlike Jonathan Edwards or another saint, a great pastor, Charles Spurgeon, um, he never learned, although he, ministering to Indians, he lived outdoors and in the woods a lot. But not in any of his writings does he make, ever make much of being encouraged or finding things about God that gave him consolation or hope from nature, from creation. A lot of writers in his day did, but you don't find it in him. And, and I think all of us are flawed, but I think, although we can overlook it, you're probably not wondering how, looking at how great the trees are when you're coughing up blood from tuberculosis probably, But nevertheless, I I think that all of us, and I want to show you tonight, would be greatly encouraged if we would do two things, okay? One of them we're better at than the other by far, and I would put myself in this category. We know how to read the Word. We do. We know how to study the Bible. We like doing it, and we do it hopefully on a daily basis, but we 
how, much, how many of us are good at studying the world? And by that, I mean creation. Um, our text says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims, announces His handiwork. All the things that God made by His own hands. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It is rising, its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. That's general revelation. That's God communicating things about, revealing things about himself through what he has made with his hands. Verses 1 through 6. 7 through 11 are God reveal, is God revealing himself through special revelation. Now let me read this. This is about his written word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Listen to this. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. In other words, it's the honey that's fresh right out of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them is great reward, great results, we would say. And then verses 12 through 14, verses 1 through 11 are God's words to David, and verses 12 through 14, and it uses the word words in these texts, is David's words to God in response to that. And we're going to look at the two things that he asked God to do once he sees who God is and what he's like and how he should live because of the two sources of revelation. He's going to frame them for us in the words let, let them not have dominion over me, verse 13. And then verse 14, let the words of my mouth. Those are the two major requests he's going to ask at the end based on God's words, do this with my words and my life. All right? So that's kind of the framework tonight that we're headed down to, to do. General revelation. Let me just give you a formal definition. All the ways that God reveals himself in creation. Everything God has made declares the glory of God. Now, hold your finger here and turn to, we're going to do a few times like this. Romans 1. I mentioned this a little bit earlier in our Google forum time. But let me read the passage I uh, encourage you to read uh, earlier. Romans 1.20, for his invisible attributes, okay, things that you could know about God, you can't see God, God is spirit, he's invisible, so how do we know about his individual attributes or perfections? Namely, his eternal power and divine nature, what he's like, have been clearly perceived. How? How do we know about God's power and that he's God and things about him like that? Well, we, verse 21 says... I'm sorry, the rest, ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So here's a principle. God takes the visible things and teaches us about the invisible things, right? 
So the glory of God is invisible if we didn't have creation. So our text in the Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the sky and everything in it, whether it's this heavens or the one above with the stars, moons and all that. They declare the glory of God. And you'll find in these first four verses a lot of, ver- a lot of words about speaking, communicating. You have declare, you have proclaim, you have the word speech, you have the word reveal. These are all words that say, you know, God made the world, and and please go beyond yourself. God didn't just make the world so you have a really beautiful place to live and that we'd have an existence here. Way beyond that. Remember, that's man-centered. God made the world for God. And what was the main reason? Well, he made things that way for a very important reason. Why? Because the visible things help us to be able to perceive, understand, have a knowledge of invisible things so let me give an example so why did God do all the things and make all the things he did in our world why did God why does God have tornadoes Um, when I was about 10 years old we lived in Robinson Illinois right on the border of Indiana and Illinois having an ice cream block party kind of thing with our neighborhood and I was on our screened-in back porch, sitting on the old ice maker, and we had to sit on it and put the salt and the ice in it, and then my sister would crank it, and I would sit on it so it wouldn't wobble. So she was cranking, and I was sitting, and we were just talking. All of a sudden, it rained, it got really dark, it got windy, and then it hailed, which was really weird, because as a kid, I don't remember hailing hardly at all. And, and then it was raining, it was so lightning and thunder, and all this noise, and all of a sudden, it was like... It was gone. It was like nothing. And that was almost startling more than what, all the stuff that was going on. But if you've ever been in a tornado, that often happens. But a tornado came at the end of my block, right over the house of my friends. Didn't touch their house. Came right over, And literally like a car, came right down the street. And it turned right in between and sw- sideswiped my neighbor's house and took my neighbor's house out. And then it hit the side of our house and we had, back then, you know, this is back in the 70s, we had almost $20,000 worth of lumber in our yard, most of which was not from my house. Every window in my house shattered. My mom was on the phone talking to some lady down the block about what she was bringing, and I remember talking about some food, and she heard me scream, run inside with my sister, or maybe I should say that more manly. My, my sister screamed, and then I ran in the house, and then, um, and my mom turned to hear me scream to see what was wrong, and a uh, two-by-four came right through the phone through the wall into the other wall in the other room. And my mom, my dad was already on the run because he told me he was standing at the kitchen window, and he saw lawn chairs go like, <laughs> like that, super fast by. And at the end of it all, you're, you're this, we, our picture was on the front page of the paper. We had a 16-foot boat that someone else's. And our backyard landed, and they lived three blocks from us. That's crazy, isn't it? But you know, I look back on that, and I was, I was telling the story to someone today, and we had a Siamese cat. Sorry, I, I like cats. We have two now. That cat I didn't like. It was mean. But we couldn't find that cat for three days. And we found it finally hiding up in the attic, and literally, I'm not lying to you, it was twitching and it was so out of, and some of its hair had all fallen out already. It had patches gone. We had to put it to sleep. But the tornado, like, 
ruin that cat. Not that I cried or anything, but, um, but, but listen, why in the world does God have tornadoes? So let me ask you, when you watch a tornado, have you ever seen those shows on TV where people chase them? Okay, we have to ask why they would do that. Um, but what about, tornado? let me, raise your hand, why would God create a tornado? What does it show about God? Yeah, his power. I called my friend, I don't know if he's going to watch tonight, Todd Richardson, who's a pastor of a small church in Alabama, and my wife and I went to see them not that long ago, last, what, October, I think? He called me today on FaceTime, and he told me, hey, Hurricane Sally's coming, and it's supposed to hit us today. So that was, I was talking to him on the phone on Sunday. And he said, pray for us. So I was praying for him. So I knew it was supposed to hit him. That. So I called him this morning about 10 o'clock, and he said, you're never going to believe this. He goes, I'm so glad everybody was praying for us. It was 2.30 in the morning when it hit where they were. He said the gusts of wind were so unbelievable. He, his mother-in-law, who's 90, lives with them in the house. And he said, at 2.30 in the morning, we heard this crash. A tree limb, he said, that was, the limb itself was so big, I couldn't get both my arms around it. That's how big the limb was. It came right through the roof into her room and destroyed everything where she was in the room. He said, the only thing the tree limb didn't touch or hurt at all was the bed she was sleeping in. He goes, if she would have been up any other time of the day sitting in the chair that she does every day, it would have crushed her to death. He goes, but he showed me on the FaceTime pictures of that and he showed and then he goes of course you know that's bad enough of course he goes but we have two cars one is working and one isn't guess which one the tree limb fell on the good car he said now we have no car <laughs> so he was telling me about how about but i you know my, i got off the phone and i go god does that declare your glory i said why did god make hurricanes same, right, same tornadoes right it shows his power, his might. It, it is pretty amazing, some of the things that God... And then I thought about mountains. I've been to the Rockies a number of times. Same guy that had the hurricane. He used to be a youth pastor, and I'd backpack with him in the Rockies with his youth group. They lived in Denver numbers of times. You ever go up in the Rockies? I've been able to ski there when I was a kid with my family. Um, when we lived in England, I got to go to the Alps in Austria that are even higher and taller, and didn't know at the time because it scared me to death, but we went on a ski uh, slope. You had to get in a gondola. You know what a gondola is? You, know, it's in, you, st- you don't just sit on a little bar or a bench and ride up on this. You get into a big enclosed area that has sliding doors, and you go up, you, about 15, 20 people go up at a time. That's how high it is. But you go all the way up, and this was so far up on the Alps that we had to ski down to get to the clouds. That's, that's not an exaggeration. Now, at the time, because I was only like about 16, 17 years old, I thought that was really cool until I tried to go down. And you know, when you're that high, the snow is not snow any longer. It's basically ice, crusted ice. And it was terrifying. But you go up there, when you get on the top and get off the gondola and get off on top of the, you know, the Alps where you can ski from, it seems like you can see forever. It's, it's incredible. I mean, what God can do, and that's not anything compared to Mount Everest. Nothing. I mean, you have Niagara Falls, never been to the Grand Canyon, sorry. Um, Sunsets over the ocean, one of my favorite things. Human body that was mentioned tonight, the different species. Now let me ask you a funny question, ready? 
how does the duckbill platypus declare the glory of God? Because I'm not really sure. That might be the only exception that might be. Now, all of it does. But look at all the different kinds of creatures. Do you know that they, they say there are hundreds, if not thousands, of species of fish and aquatic animals that no one has ever seen? Do you know the Bible says in the book of Job that there are things that God has made in the stars and the heavens and in the depths of the sea, and it says that no eye will ever see. And then at the end of the little paragraph, it says, and these are the mere edges, but the word means the hem of your skirt. In other words, God made so many things, and you'll never see any of them, only for his eyes, in the darkness of five miles down the water. And he'll see them, and they, they're enough to scare you, some of them. I've seen a few of them. That, you, you know, that we have discovered. But you, here's what he says, and that's just the hem of the skirt of my ways. I mean, this little fringe on the skirt. I, there's so much more about God you'll never be able to know. I mean, C.S. Lewis was so amazed by creation. Here's what he said. We may ignore, but, can, but, uh, but we cannot, I'm sorry, but nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. In other words, unless you have eyes to see him, you'll miss him. But he's there. He's everywhere. Jonathan Edwards said, The universe is filled with images of divine things as full as a language is of words. Of words. So everything in creation is communication from God about God And God speaks to us if we can hear him and have ears to hear and eyes to see everywhere in everything. So let me get a little more specific about general revelation. General revelation works both directly and indirectly. And here's how it works. And I'm going to try to give you some things that you can use on your own so that you can perceive God a little bit better through creation and not only that, through his word. But So God does this. He creates categories in our minds and hearts using creation so that we can know him deeper and better. Our, our experience of the world gives us categories for knowing God and, listen to this, for knowing his word. So he's put things in our everyday life and in our world that we are very familiar with. And he does it so that we'll have categories so that when it comes to his special revelation that we'll get an idea of what he's trying to communicate to us. And let me give you some examples. Ready? If you want to write them down, you can. Psalm 1 says, "Blessed the blessed man. What is the blessed man like? Anybody in Psalm 1? He is like a what? Yeah, he's like a tree. And then a wicked man is like what? Not like a tree. What is he like? What's the word in Psalm 1? He's like chaff. I like to say tumbleweed. He's like, you know, a, a useless stuff that you, you, the wind just blows around and it has really no meaning or purpose whatsoever. And so what does God use to describe certain kinds of people so that we could get... So we watch. You ever watch the old westerns and the tumbleweed blows across the middle of the street right before the gunfight in the middle of the street? And you say, well, what is that come in the middle of the video or the video, movie? But it's just something worthless. It just blows around. goes wherever. It doesn't really have any purpose. doesn't really have any meaning. It's just there, right? He says that's kind of how wicked people are apart from God. But we've all seen on the other side of it, the blessed man is like a tree. What kind of a tree? Well, he's planted by the rivers of water. 
and it doesn't matter how hot it gets and how awful the circumstances and the weather are, he bears fruit all the time. And if we've all, you know, Sherry, my mother-in-law grew up and they had lemon trees in their yard in California and ate the lemons and enjoyed all that. And, 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 you know, if you go down to the headquarters at Panama, they have delicious, although I've never gone when it happened, but I've been told they have delicious mangoes on the property amongst other trees with all kinds of fruit there. But if you ever had it, you understand how awesome one is and how meaningless the other one is. But we understand Psalm 1 far better directly. Why? Because we know the categories of fruitful trees and chaff or, 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 or like tumbleweed. Now, my wife is, to give you another illustration, my wife is from Minnesota. And I spent 10 years in Minnesota. Now, you're going to think I'm going to talk bad about Minnesota, and I kind of am. But there's a lot of good things about Minnesota. Um, one of them are that I'm not there. That's a really good thing about it. But Minnesota, Twin Cities, great place, lots of things to do, a lot of fun, really beautiful, actually. But it's hard to overlook everything that's good there based on one problem. And you know what it is? Winter. Which is at least six months, if not longer. Nine months? Oh, it's not? Yes, it is. It's awful there. And here's our, these verses, I think, were penned in the Bible when God created Minnesota. Turn to Psalm 147. Psalm 147, and there's a number of verses that would be cool to talk about, but 17 and 18 in particular. I'm sorry, verse 16 and 17. He gives snow like wool. He scatters, no, no, different, no kinds of form, snow, and then there's frost. He scatters frost like ashes. Listen to this, different action. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. So you got snow, you got frost, you got crystals of ice. And then the statement is this, who can stand before, notice the personal pronoun, his cold. So what, what in the world, so other than trying to complain for six months of the year because you live in Minnesota, and by the way, have you ever gone, have you ever had in a short period of time gone from 80 degrees outside to 40? And you go, well, that is just drastic, so drastic, and it's so much colder than it was. Try this one, going from zero degrees to minus 40 let me tell you, 80 to 40 is nothing compared to zero to minus 40. And I'm not even talking wind chill factor. Now, it doesn't do that a lot, but occasionally it gets that drastically cold. One time in a winter there, they had a guy who, it was kind of a cool thing to get people to come in and watch the news report on this news channel. And so he had this thing where he steps outside the studio, this glass door, and it had a little patio area, and he'd go out there in the weather to give you the weather, okay? So, good luck. Um, so he walks out there, and it's minus 32 degrees. So he takes a glass of water and literally goes like this. He turns the water over like this, and before it goes from his hand to the ground, it freezes into ice crystals. 
That's how cold minus 32 is. And they had clips of lady, this lady that was jogging in one of the parks where they have 10 or 15,000 lakes. Minus 32 degrees. Now, now let me ask you, who goes out and jogs in minus 32 degree weather? Seriously. Do you know how cold it is? It's so cold in Minnesota that when you park your car on the street, they have a plug where you can plug into it and plug your engine in because when you come back, your car will never start. And they have walkways all through the downtown so you don't ever have to walk outside between buildings. You don't have to walk on the sidewalk. You walk in the skyways up top. Why? Because it's really cool? No, because it's really cold. And they don't, so anyways, I forgot what I was saying. But anyways, this lady is jogging. This lady's jogging, and they said her eyelashes and her eyebrows crystallized and fell off while she was jogging. And if I wasn't kind, I would say, well, that serves you right. You shouldn't have been out there to begin with. But that's how, listen to that verse again. Who can stand before his cold? So what do you learn about God? That he didn't really, it's not his responsibility. Minnesota was a mistake. No. What do you learn about God? That God's power takes so many different forms and shapes and sizes. Let me show you another one. We're not getting very far tonight. Job 38. I'm sorry, 36. Job 36 and verse 26. And I'm going to read a little bit here, but there's a lot of them in here. Okay, read this. Behold. Now, the, in, in, two or three, in this passage, two or three times, behold. In other words, I want to get your attention about what God is like and how you can learn about him and what you can learn about him from general revelation. It says, verse 26, Behold, God is great, and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. Now watch this. What blows his mind? For he draws up the drops of water. They distill his mist. No, remember his cold? What's his mist? Too. In rain. Which the skies pour down and drop on mankind abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds? I mean, why are they there? Why that formation? Why are they just going by? I mean, what's the purpose of that, really? The thunderings of his pavilion... Second time, behold, he scatters his lightning. Notice, his mist, his cold, his lightning. Don't think that creation is somehow detached, that God wound it up like the clock illustration and just lets it go and is not personally involved in anything that happens. The Bible wants you to know that that is not the God of the Bible. And it says, he distills it and drops it on mankind. Behold, he scatters lightning about him and covers the roots of the sea for by these he judges people. So yes, mudslides, hurricanes, tornadoes, sometimes those are judgments. And he gives food in abundance. He covers his hands with lightning and commands it to strike the mark. And it crashes, declaring his presence. Look at that. Declaring his presence. See, God is here. When you hear the thunder, don't go, oh, I'm scared. No, God is here. The Bible also often many times says the thunder outside is God's voice and the lightnings are his bolts, it says. They're his. The cattle also declare that he rises. What's our response to it? Verse 37, 37, 1. At this also my heart trembles and leaps out of its place. Keep listening to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. 
Under the whole heaven, he lets it go. You can just, everywhere you go in a certain area, why it's thundering and lightning, you think it's everywhere. And it's lightning to the corners of the earth. After it, his voice roars, he thunders with his majestic voice and he does not restrain the lightnings with his voice is heard. God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things we cannot comprehend. Listen to this. For, he, for to the snow, he says, fall on the earth. So every, for the first time when, when we come out here, hopefully it'll be later around Christmas, and it starts to snow for the first time. And you say, wow, we haven't had any snow so far this year. Don't just say it. Think this. Because this is the first time God said it, snow. See him in it. See God in the snow. See, when you hear the thunder and lightning, say, look at God. Look how awesome and powerful he is. Keep going in the chapter. He says, fall on the earth, snow. Likewise to the downpour, his mighty downpour. He seals up the hands of every man that all the men may know that the beasts in their lairs remain in their den for its chambers come out the whirlwind, the cold. So he says, I cause the animals to go in. They hibernate. I call the winds. The ice, God says, I breathe out and there's ice, thick clouds, scatters lightning. I mean, in one place he goes down and says this. He says this to the gentle rain, fall quietly. And then he says to the heavy rain, heart, pour down abundantly. So, so you go outside. You know how you can see God? We're sitting on the, uh, on the shore um, with my sister uh, on vacation a week ago, and it was cold. I mean, it was 60s. And it starts to rain a little bit, like rain, but it didn't rain hard. And I thought, oh, see, God's here because you could have a little bit of mist, and it was a little bit cold, but it's not Minnesota cold, and it's not abundantly raining, but God could have said that, and about an hour later, when we ran back, it did, right? But he, see, God says, see, just rain a little bit. Or he says, pour like you can't believe. And they, they're now counting the rain in, in Alabama, where my friend Todd is from the hurricane. They're counting how much rain, not in inches, but in feet. So God can say, hey, on the shore, missed a little bit here. And I want you to pour so bad that it's going to flood things. And they have to have a canoe to go down the middle of the street. But don't just look at that as circumstances. You know what he says? That's me. That's me. I, I, I do all of that. Now go back to Psalm 19 before we close. Look what he says in here. He says, there is daytime speech that, that uh, general revelation makes daytime speech. Verse 2, day to day, pours out speech. And then God says, listen, here's what I, I, I want you to know about me all day long. So he, in an illustration in verse 4, he sends the sun. It comes up in the east and sets in the west. And he says, all day long, the sun comes across like this. And it's telling you about me all while there's light every day. And then guess what? When the sun goes down, here's his language. I made a tent for the sun. So at nighttime, the tent has somewhere to go to sleep. The sun does. I put it in a tent, and the moon comes out. And then my nighttime speech comes out. So I want you to know about me all day long. So I want you to look up at the sky. Oh, it's a beautiful day. There's not a cloud of the sky. Isn't it great? Let's go to the beach. No, that's not what he wants. You can do that. But here's where you go. All day long, God says, just watch the sunrise. See, that's me. That's me. Watch the sun come up and how beautiful it is. See how warm it is today? No humidity, God. Go across the sky all day long, and then when you can't see the sun anymore, and it's in God's tent taking a nap for the night, the moon comes out, and it's beautiful, it's cooler, 
It's not nearly as hot as it was. 78 during the day and 58 at night. Kind of a great stretch, isn't it? And God says, see, I want you to see me at nighttime too. And I want you to see me in the stars and look at the galaxies and the things that you can't even begin to comprehend. God says, my nighttime speech. And where would you go? How much does God talk? Where he says, there is no speech or words that it can't be heard. In other words, Revelation, general revelation, is a language that anybody can understand. And I don't have to be white or black or Hispanic or Indian, or I don't have to speak English or whatever. I don't have, any language, any color, any person, anywhere in the world, he says, you get this. Look at the creation and you see me. My attributes, my power, my Godhead. You can see that someone made all of this, and you can see that he has glory, it says. So we can fathom some things about God and understand and know him to a point with natural or general revelation. But the last one, if I could put to you, is the second one is special revelation. Certainly our time is up and we don't have time to go through it. But here's the thing. How can you say, because Pastor Walker, you could stand up here and say, hey, look at this in creation, and that must mean this about God. Now, does everything about creation mean something special about God? Well, in some way it might, but how do you stop from being foolish and ludicrous and saying, oh, God is in that? I mean, it was cool when we were in Israel. Remember this, Chris? And our, our leader said, I mean, I'm sure she wasn't just pulling our leg. We had like four different times, five Five different times, she said, in a week's time, we, we, every, almost, it seemed like everywhere we went, there was a rainbow. And she goes, of course, that was our chance to talk about Jesus and the ark and all that stuff. But, but rainbows, that's an obvious thing that God put in creation that tells us about him. His faithfulness, his, guy, his mercy and his grace. He's not going to punish mankind that way. But can I tell you this? What is creation, to keep us from going and being foolish about what creation is saying about God, you know what else we need? Special revelation. We need special revelation. That's what verses 7 through 11 are. It's telling us about God's law and six things. They're all listed there. And then what they're like and the characteristics and they're described. In each one of those six verses, it says, here's what God's law is and here's what it's like. And, 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 and let me, I'm only going to have time for this one. So look at 19 and verse 10. It says, more to be desired are they than gold. But not just gold. The Bible and its wisdom and God's word is not just more desirable than gold. What does it say? Fine gold. See, the Bible is not just to be, want, you know, 10 karat gold, 24 karat gold. I had a college ring is gold, but it's mixed with a lot of alloys because it's hard, it'll last, it won't, but it isn't worth much, like two or $300. But you get a 24-karat ring, that same size ring, thousands of dollars. Why? Because it's fine gold, right? God says, that's how desirable my word. You think it's awesome what you can find out about me in general revelation? Oh, here's what he says. See this? Imagine this. This book I hold in my hand is greater than anything you've ever seen and will never see in all of creation. That's how awesome this book is. This is the word of God, directly spoken to you or to the people in the scriptures and for us in our day. This is God's inspired, special revelation. And then he says this, not only is it better than fine gold, but here's the categories, ready? Just an example. Sweeter than honey, 
but not honey that's been sitting around and got hard, but the droppings from the honeycomb. I mean, it's fresh right out of it. This is bee honey, not the ones in the little bear containers you get in the store. No, this is right. And he says, you just put your hand in there and you take it out and you eat it. It is so fresh. He says, now here's the question. So why did God make bees and why did he make honey? Why are there honeycombs? You know why? So that when you get God's word and he says to you, it's sweeter than honey and you've eaten honey and you know how good it is, you'll know what he wants you to do when it comes to desiring his word. The word desirable in that verse in the psalm that we just looked at is only used three other times in all of scripture. And one of them is when Eve looked at the tree, it said, it's desirable to make one wise. In other words, she really, really wanted it. In fact, she wanted it too much because she wanted it more than God's word. See, you know what Satan wants to do? He wants to take the created things and he wants you to want them more than the special revelation things. See, Eve desired the tree and what it offered above God and the word of his wisdom, and she sinned. And can I tell you this? You know why he creates categories? Why does it say this? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because we know what it means to be hungry, don't we? We know what it means to be thirsty. You ever been so parched and you've got to have something to drink, or you're so hungry you haven't had any? I fasted once during, for five days. I, I, that's all I could think about was food every minute. I tried to be real pious and spiritual, and I was praying. And when I was praying, I'm thinking of the golden arches right there in my prayer. But I was so hungry. But we know it. So when he says hunger, I know what that is. Thirst, I know what that is. Jesus said this, I am the bread of life. You know what he didn't say? I am the grain of life. But bread comes from grain, but people make it, and we eat it. And so we know that category, and we know bread and how it's right out of the oven, and it tastes so good, and it's a, it's a, it's a staple for life, right? So when he says, oh no, John chapter 6, don't labor for the food that perishes, but the food that I will give unto you that results in eternal life. See, you know why bread exists? So the very moment Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, you'd know exactly what he means. See, you know what he wants from us? He wants us to put special and, and general revela- revelation, revelation together and so that we understand who God is, what he's like, and how we should live our lives based on putting those two things together. And the psalmist says, you know what I want when I'm done? And I'm done with this. He says, let the words of my mouth. I know about your words now, God, in creation and in the Bible. Now, you know what I want? I want the words of my mouth externally coming from the meditation of my heart, I want that to be acceptable in your sight. God, when I see who you are and what you're like in creation and what the Bible says, you know what I want? I want my life to be one of those things that shows the glory of God by the things I say and everything that comes out of my heart. Every single attitude, action, thought, word, I want it all to glorify you. Isn't that what we want? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we want to say thank you for the world in which we live. So many times we're just so busy. We run through our day and we don't look around. We don't see all the things you're trying to teach us and communicate about yourself through the creation. Help us to be more alert to those things. More, Lord, as the Psalm 111 says, 
that those who study the word of God and study the world of God are, are going to delight in those things. Help us to be those kind of people that we can see you all around us and more particularly in your word that as we know you through both revelations you've given us that we might want to be more like you. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.